Welcome one and all to episode 109 of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, it's finally here. We can stop having questions about the players and the teams and all of that. And we can just do one giant mock draft to really, I mean, mock this entire process and, and get it over with until Thursday where we have our reaction. Yeah, Seth, this mock draft is guaranteed to be correct for about 10 minutes, if that, because we're already hearing, you know, trade talks and rumblings. We're constantly getting reports. This team likes that guy and this this other team likes this guy. The San Francisco 49ers are, they think uh, the top five quarterbacks are all the same and they can, and Kyle Shanahan uh, did a press conference today for some reason basically saying that uh, he traded up to three because he likes all five of the top five quarterbacks. And so we really have no clue. As I've tweeted before, and if you follow me on Twitter at AFC to NFC, you might have seen this, but I said I really get the feeling that this is going to be a draft that is really stranger than we really think it's going to be, um, that there's more of a disconnect this year between media and the teams than probably ever before because of the circumstances surrounding the evaluation process due to COVID-19. I mean, we had some teams, we had players opt out. We had an entire division, the FCS, not not play a fall season. There was that like one weird game between North Dakota State and, and Central Arkansas. We have teams that are not meeting with the players in person. So there's a lot of Zoom contact and we have um, no combine, so we're de- we're dealing with all these separate pro days that took place. So this is going to be, I think it's going to be a really strange draft. I think we're going to actually have players picked that we aren't expecting to be picked in the first round, and it's going to be more to a degree than we've seen in the past. I really think that. Well, and we've already heard discussions about whether some teams will pass on players that opted out this year, and so that. That makes this whole thing interesting because, I mean, these are some of the best players in the draft when you talk about guys like Jamar Chase, Rashawn Slater, uh, Penny Sewell. Like, we're talking about the top players at their positions. And, you know, is it – do do we really hold it against them if they opted out? I mean, what do you make of Trey Lance who, like you said, played a game and wasn't good in that game? you know and so now all of a sudden you're just trying to decide you know if you're punishing guys for opting out of something that they really had no control over either so it'll be interesting just as this unfolds to see how and where it goes and and what happens um on thursday but we're going to start it off our 2021 NFL mock draft with uh, a bit of a shocker, and that's uh, not talking about Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville too much or Zach Wilson to the Jets. Both of those have seemed like foregone conclusions for the better part of, what, about a month at this point? I mean, Lawrence since December or January when the Jaguars ended up with the first pick. Uh, Wilson, I would say, what, the last two months? Yeah, I think, I mean, Wilson actually started kind of heating up in uh, 
October, I think, when BYU is playing before some of these other teams started to play, before some of these other conferences' schedules kicked in. And he started to pick up heat from guys like Dane Brugler, and it, it just kept continuing to build. That momentum it snowballed, and Zach Wilson kind of became the de facto quarterback too. And it's honestly assumed right now that he's going to the Jets. But this is another one of those things where I think – Stranger things than have happened before where you could see some curveball at the last second. This this could be somebody other than Zach Wilson. I think ultimately we're still leaning heavily Zach Wilson. So really the we we kind of started this mock draft at pick three. Yeah, and so that's the discussion right now. We've gone back and forth on this. Um the San Francisco 49ers trade up to the third pick um, Peter King in his football morning in America article on pro football talk discussed this trade and the kind of ripple effect it's going to have on potential trades into the top 10 for this draft. Anyways, when you think about how much they gave up, I mean, going from 12 to three is a lot, but they also gave up. They, they gave up, obviously this year's first and then two future first round picks as well as a third round pick. So to move into the top 10, you feel like, you know, outside of maybe a team like, uh, well, Miami's going to, you know, the lions moving up to four, you're probably not going to see a team have to, or you're not going to see a team moving up from a short distance. So, you know, would a team like the Giants, who won't move up under Dave Gettleman, but would they move up really in to four to get Kyle Pitts or, you know, or a falling Justin Fields when it's going to cost them three first round picks? I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, and then that begs the question if, if a guy like Fields or Lance or Mac Jones doesn't get drafted in the top six, what? what happens to these picks? I mean, are the lions going to undersell just to get out of that spot and maybe get a future first round pick or would they, you know, really hold out to get those three first round picks similar to what the, the dolphins got. That's why it's such an interesting kind of conundrum this year because the 49ers set everybody up in a bad way by selling so high to go up to get the third pick. And because nobody really knows which of the three quarterbacks that we haven't talked about is, is going to go there. Um, so it's just really interesting for the sake of, of, I guess, brevity, although we probably will go at least an hour on this, but uh, we didn't do trades because that's going to get very complicated. And certainly there's going to be some trades and we're going to be wrong because of that. But we're doing an old school mock. We didn't do any trades this time. And we're just going based on the trades that have happened up to uh, this date, April 26th is when we were recording. You'll hear this on April 27th, hopefully. And uh, so that's why we're going with what we keep hearing behind the scenes. And that is that Justin Fields is going to be the number three pick overall to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, why why are the uh, Niners being so cagey about this? Why aren't 
are they being so coy? I think it's because they still aren't for sure, 100% for sure what the Jets are going to do. I think that's the only reason behind it. But if they're not 100% what the Jets are going to do, they have to have a plan B. They have to uh, be ready for that one uh, yeah, one curveball that can happen. If Fields goes two, uh, do they pick uh, Zach Wilson? I think that would be the pick, as as our friend Kyle Posey said last week when I asked him about that. Um, we heard last week that Fields has a medical condition. He's been managing epilepsy for some time. That didn't affect his play at Ohio State. He never missed a game. So I think, uh, and, and Seth and I talked about this, and based on what, we know, which, I mean, we're going against the grain here. We're going against guys like Michael Lombardi, who said for sure Fields is not going to be the pick. But we think Fields is ultimately going to be the pick, and it's going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, and I don't know if it'll surprise people as much as it will be just that everybody leaned again on the the expert. And the experts, you know, didn't have it correct. And then not only that, but this kind of brings me back to last year with the the Tua Justin Herbert situation, where people were one hundred percent positive selling that Tua was going to fall, that Herbert was the guy the Dolphins were going to take, and then then and then in the end they took. Tua um you know I I think sometimes people are fed information and then I think sometimes that the teams like to have fun with these guys and as you said in an odd off season maybe uh Maybe the the teams have a little more time to mess around with uh, with these professional reporters and and give them some information from all over the place. But yeah, we're going fields. That takes us to Atlanta. And Real quick though, before we get to the Falcons, I want to I want to just give us this quote from uh, Kyle Posey, who was on the show last week. If you haven't seen it, check that out. Episode one hundred eight, and we talked to Kyle about this exact pick. And he said, he tweeted earlier, I'm sure the head coach who said, quote, you want to find Drew Brees that can move like Lamar Jackson, unquote, is taking Mac Jones. So just think about that for a second before we read too much into all the noise that we're hearing from all, all of the insiders. Because like I said, I think there's a bigger disconnect this year than ever before because of the COVID situation. That takes us to the Atlanta Falcons. There's rumblings that they're still looking at moving on, uh, moving this pick. But again, are they going to be able to get value? That's the question at this point. When you look at them staying, um, we're going to go a little maybe surprising, maybe not, but we're going to go Kyle Pitts. Um some people think Kyle Pitts is the best non-quarterback draft. I don't know if Justin and I go that far, but we're not too far off. He's one of the top five non-quarterbacks in this class, and I think that's pretty pretty easy to call. 
Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think we're gaga over Kyle Pitts the way some people are because we know that the pitfalls of drafting a tight end so early. So I mean, unless Kyle Pitts is going to play receiver, where you you can really get that value, you're talking about a handful of of guys that become, um, that that get gain that value, that same value at the tight end position as they have at receiver. So that's a Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski or Tony Gonzalez. Those guys are rare, and I'm not sure Pitts is quite up to, to their level, but certainly in this class, like he he's definitely going to be ranked highly for me on my in my top, you know, 100, 150 players. He's going to be probably a top five or top ten player at the very least, and I'll post that to the Patreon um, by Wednesday so we can get a good idea about that. So I had well, and, I, oh go ahead and, and to your I was going to say to your point, you know, when you talk about a top five or ten if you take quarterbacks out of that factor he's yeah he, i mean he's one of those five to seven best players in this draft and that's that's a lot of you know it it's impressive for a tight end to be that high but i think it also talk, goes to what we've talked about in this class is that when you don't have top pass rushers and you don't have top interior defensive linemen it the class itself isn't as great as you would hope it would be right you look at i mean he's a legitimate weapon you look at his yards per reception and his speed and you watch him um he he just makes plays like a receiver and he's he's gonna have different matchups now as he gets to the nfl but um really there's a lot a lot to love about kyle pitts but the player that i think is the top non-quarterback in this draft is the guy I took at number five for Cincinnati, and that's Jamar Chase. And a lot of people have have really penciled in Panay Sewell for a long time. They say you've got to protect protect Joe Burrow, and I agree with that. They signed Riley Reef. That's a stopgap player. I think uh, getting Chase not only really. Um, makes that receiving core more electric, but it also is something that, that makes the quarterback Burrow happy. He gets back his top weapon from his magical 2019 college season. So I think they, they're comfortable with the stopgap that they signed in free agency. They still have a high second round pick where they can address offensive line further. Um, I don't think they can pass up on Chase though. I think he's just that good. I mean, he's got sub 440 speed and, uh, what a dynamic player, and you team him up with Tyler Boyd, with T. Higgins. They they lost A.J. Green as he aged out, and they uh, let him leave a free agency. And now they're, they're going to have a, a very diverse and dynamic receiving core between those three receivers. So I really like Chase in this spot. I don't see how they can pass him up. Chase seems like a, an easy call there, and it – and it creates an interesting discussion at six. And we talked about it right after the trade, the Miami Dolphins trading back up to the sixth pick. Who would it be for? Was it two players, three players, four players? You and I guesstimated, and this was completely a guess on our end, that it would have to be four players. You'd have to be comfortable with four players in case San Francisco did something crazy. Because at that point, you can't, even though San Francisco traded up to three, you can't guarantee that they're going to take 
a quarterback. I mean, it's 99.9% likely, but you couldn't guarantee 100% that it was a quarterback. Yeah, I guess Meaning not that, until not until today when you know Shanahan basically said said as much. Like we traded but, up for a quarterback, but yeah, before that, you had to be comfortable with four players, right? Because you had to be comfortable getting one of those four players, and so I think everyone really assumed that it was two players in in Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase, and if the draft falls this way, did the Dolphins? hurt themselves by missing out on the top two receiving threats in this draft because let's be honest you're not drafting Kyle Pitts and he's not a bad blocker by any means but you're not drafting Kyle Pitts because he's a two-way you know inline tight end you're drafting him because he's more of a prime you know Jimmy Graham Antonio Gates type of of tight end he's not George Kittle or Travis Kelsey at this point yet um and so if Pitts and Chase go four and five, did Miami make a mistake? Or do you think that they'll be happy with the next kind of two choices they have from a receiver posi- um, position? Well, this is one of the scenarios, just like with Joe Burrow and Chase, where you get to reunite your young starting quarterback with a receiver that he's familiar with. So um, in this case, we decided to go with, Jalen Waddle because he is uh, the receiver. We, you know, we project to be the better pro between the two Alabama guys, between uh, Waddle and Devonte Smith. So Jalen Waddle being the next best receiver with Waddle and Will Fuller, you've got you've just added a ton of speed to give Tua every opportunity to to succeed after you know a bit of an uneven rookie year but i don't think it was as bad as some people were, were acting like it was um i don't think they he were looked like act- a hall of famer against the arizona cardinals so I, mean. <laughs> I don't think the dolphins are actively looking to move on from a guy they just picked early in the first round last year so waddle makes a lot of sense to me in this in this situation they can go in a lot of ways but i think i think we agreed at the time when they traded back and then back up that they were looking to get a din- dynamic uh, pass catching threat. If, and I think we were right when we said it had to be between several players. So Waddle makes sense here with Pitts and Chase both off the board. So you got Jalen Waddle going to the Miami Dolphins. That brings up the Detroit Lions. This seems like the start of trade up conversations we'll talk about you know i think at this point you you start talking about different teams the the chargers potentially trading up to go get the best offensive lineman in the class uh, would the vikings do similar what and then obviously the new england patriots um washington football team and chicago bears all needing quarterbacks again and we've we're not also doing- got uh, we've also got, at this point, no defensive players off the board. So is there a team that, that really loves one of those cornerbacks that we talked about last week that's going to try and get in into that range? And and that'll be interesting because we'll discuss that in a second. So, again, we're not doing trades, but this is where you can, you can see the trades start to 
come to fruition. But as Peter King talked about, what is New England going to have to pay to go from 15 to 7? I mean, you're talking about obviously 15 this year and probably I would assume a third this year and then their next two first? Or would they be comfortable with just giving up, you know, just getting back one first? That's that's the question. I mean, that's a that's a big gap going from uh, seven back to 15. At this point, too, you have already six players off the board, including three quarterbacks. So it's a it's a real seller's market at that point where, you know, Detroit can be listening to those other teams that you talked about, Washington and, and Chicago as well. And Denver, you know, Denver might want to trade up two spots to make sure that somebody's there for them. Uh, they've kind of made it known that they, they've they've kind of given a very tepid endorsement of Drew Locke. So it's something certainly that, that I don't think we believe. So, um, but I think you, you touched on it when you said somebody might want to get the top offensive lineman. Yep, and so we have the Detroit Lions obviously staying and drafting uh, Pitney Sewell. Sewell's, again, if you go back and listen to episode 106 with Sully Chiefs, he's he's the more traditional tackle prospect. The Lions have Tyrell Crosby penciled in at right tackle right now. I don't know if you move Taylor Decker. They just signed him to a four-year, $60 million extension. You know, he's not a all-pro or a Pro Bowl-level tackle, but he's been solid in his career with Detroit. So now you have Stuhl and, and Decker as your bookend tackles for the next four to five years. And let's be honest, the one, the biggest upside to Stuhl outside of, you know, his ability is that at the end of his contract, he'd only be 25. So potentially moving him to the left tackle when Taylor Decker retire, you know, or they move on from Decker in four years. Um, and he's only 24 or 25 making the move. He'll still be really young. So that w- I mean, from just a logistic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I think this would be a jackpot pick for Detroit because, um, and I, I want to clarify it was that I, it was uh, episode 107 when we talked to Sully. So go back and listen to that if you didn't. But we talked a lot about all of the top offensive linemen in this class. And one of the things about Sewell, and I mentioned it, is that he played on the right side of the offensive line in high school. So this is a guy who has experience playing right guard. He has experience playing left tackle. We know uh, right tackle traditionally is more of the... uh, road grader between the two tackle spots. I know we all talk about how right tackle and left tackle are are gaining equal importance, but you can put a guy who's not, you know, the basketball player, the guy with the basketball player feet at right tackle, and he's still going to be effective. Sewell will be effective as a pass blocker there and as a run blocker. So I really like this fit if Detroit stays, and certainly it'd be an upgrade from Tyrell Crosby. That brings us to the Carolina Panthers and, and word kind of started I think to leak. This is where stuff gets weird, right? Right. Right. And, and stuff started to leak out today. Um, and so you and I debated. We went back and forth on what, what to do. And we decided that 
with the information we have and the fact that we're not doing trades, we're going to go with kind of the newest information and, and see how it sticks. And like Justin said, if this is, this could be one of those things that Detroit puts out there, the lions and say, Hey, you know, we're hearing that the Panthers love JC Horn. So if you're Denver, Dallas, the Giants or Philadelphia all need corners and you're going from, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 to 7, hey, just throw us a third round pick and, you know, we'll swap first rounders. Be happy to do it. Um, and if you're Detroit, maybe then you get Rashawn Slater, maybe you grab Devontae, you know, Devontae Smith. But what... You know, the rumors are now Jeff Kavanaugh covers the Dallas Cowboys that Carolina is in love with J.C. Horn. Um, Horn goes at number eight as the first defensive player off the board and I think really sells the fact that this class at the premier positions is not as strong as previous classes but also that this is one of the most desperate quarterback-heavy classes we've seen in a while. Right, and, and, and I think the reason why we didn't go quarterback here with uh, Carolina is you're talking about now the fourth and fifth quarterbacks, and you just traded up, traded quite a bit to acquire Sam Darnold. So... Although we talked about that trade and we talked about how that doesn't necessarily mean Carolina's out when it comes to quarterback, it would be strange for them to invest that much in one single draft in the quarterback position when you're talking about getting the fourth or fifth quarterback in the class. So I think ultimately Carolina goes a different route. You know, Matt Rule is running the show, not Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, but Matt Rule's running the show and Brady is very likely to move on to another. I mean, he was already getting head coaching interviews this year. So uh, that's why we went with Horn. So then at pick nine, we thought about defense as well with Denver. But this is a spot where, as I alluded to a little while ago, you you got a very tepid endorsement of, of Drew Locke here. And now you have the fourth quarterback in the draft falling into your lap. And I think this is where Denver takes Trey Lance. Yeah, it makes sense here. The only other players that would necessitate a need would be like a Micah Parsons here. You can, again, you can always draft corners, but they just signed Kyle Fuller. Uh, They've got a good group of corners here. It's not bad at all. Uh, So we'll see. This is a, this is a place where they could go pass rusher too. You know, you've got, you have, you have Von Miller who's getting on. He's been in the league for a long time. You got Bradley Chubb who's had injury issues and you can never have too many pass rushers. We'll get more on that later as when, when those guys come up, but I think they have to go with a quarterback. If one of these top five starts to fall right, right to them. That brings Dallas up at the 10th pick they've been basically penned in taking a corner here 
since I can remember. I I legitimately don't remember too many mock drafts um, where they're not picking a cornerback, which is just absurd to me that it's that kind of consensus. Yeah, which literally means... the only other player I've even heard like mentioned to them is that that Jerry Jones is infatuated with Kyle Pitts and there's a slim chance he makes it back to them. They'd have to move up and give up a lot to get Kyle Pitts. They'd have to move up to four and give up a lot of picks. And so despite us hating to go with the flow too much, I just can't find a way to not take Patrick Sertain here. Um, I think they would take Horn if he was available. He's just not available in the end. I was just going to ask you that. Like, do, do you think they would go with J.C. Horn if it was between the two? And you just answered my question before I asked it. So, I mean, Sertan is the guy that's been linked to them since, like, November or something like that. I mean, uh, we, we keep seeing him in mock drafts. We don't want to make this like everybody else's. But it's it's hard not to connect the dots. And, and uh, this is one of the players that the NFL is clearly high on. He's a guy who tested very well. I think he... Um, the guy he looked like to me from a physical standpoint, uh, test and, and height weight standpoint was like Antonio Cromartie. So if you can get that type of player, you've got, that's a good pick in this draft. I mean, we, we, we've mentioned how this is not going to be the, the strongest draft. I mean, we've heard scouts say this is a terrible draft because there's only 600 or some, uh, eligible players. And there's going to be like three times that many next year because of the, the opt-in, opt-out, uh, extra eligibility rules. So sticking in the uh, – we've got NFC East for the next two picks as well. And when it comes to the Giants, this is another one where we lean on some current reports that we've heard and, and read. And this one, apparently Dave Gettleman is infatuated with the receiver from Alabama, the other receiver, Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner, trying to get some weapons for their guy, Daniel Jones. And despite other needs for the, the New York Giants, this seems like if he's if Devontae Smith is on, on the board, which he is in our draft, that's the pick for the New York Giants. Yeah, and Smith, uh, you know, is the the guy here. At least that's what people are believing. So if he goes in the top 10, I think this pick would be Micah Parsons, which would definitely be a Dave Gettleman pick, right? Like he's he loves front seven players on defense. and um, Yeah, I could see them going with the first edge rusher too here, you know, uh, we, we, we had mentioned uh, Quiddy pay when you and I were talking about when we were building this mock draft, but yeah, you, you think that Gettleman wants to take one of these, uh, he, he wants a real football guy here, but Devonte <laughs> Smith, I think is a real football guy, even though he's built like a twig, he, that, you know, the real film scouts love this guy. And they're going to throw all the metrics aside and they're going to bet on the outlier. And that just seems like something Gettleman would do. I, I can never forget that image of him just like mocking 
uh, analytics pretending to type on a typewriter or something. I mean, he was very, it's a, it's a famous little video clip that he had a couple of years ago. That brings us to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they get, in my opinion, and I think our opinion, uh, the best offensive lineman in this draft, they get Rashawn Slater at, at 12. They would have taken um, a receiver here, but the, the top three are gone. They would have taken J.C. Horn here, but he's gone. And it's not a bad consolation prize to get the best offensive lineman in the draft at 12. It's interesting that over the past couple of years, the Eagles have taken an offensive lineman and Andre Dillard and a receiver in, in Jalen Rager. And still we're talking about them taking another offensive lineman or another receiver. And, so, and they've traded for Darius Slay. Right. Right. And, and so it's really, um, I think a lot of people originally thought the Eagles were going to be looking at a quarterback, but instead of looking at quarterback, they traded back all the way to 12 where, in, in our mock draft, the only quarterback that's left is Mac Jones, but they seem to be wanting to build in a more dynamic way around Jalen Hurts, and Mac Jones doesn't really fit the script for what they're trying to do. So I, I really don't – I think when they traded back, they signified that they were out on quarterbacks this year. Um, the guys they would have liked, wouldn't have, they didn't think were going to be there at six in their estimation. So they want to – you know, we've heard that their head, their new head coach doesn't – want to just hand Jalen Hurts the job, but it looks like it's going to be Hurts or Joe Flacco there. And I, I doubt they take a, a quarterback here. So Slater makes a lot of sense. That brings us to the Los Angeles Chargers and a mini run on offensive line um, right through this area right here as uh, – I think if Slater goes before the Chargers, you're going to see teams like the Chargers, the the Vikings get a little antsy and, and pull the trigger. Uh, and so when you look at the Chargers, they need tackle help. Um, we went back and forth on this. We are not big fans of this guy. Not Not that he can't be great, uh, just that we I think I'm, other... I think I'm higher on him than you were and definitely than Sully was when but, we talked about O-line. But I think he's what the NFL wants in the O-line. Uh, in a left tackle specifically. Yeah, yeah, and so we went with Christian Derrissaw, um from Virginia Tech. I think, I think he's going to go top 15 still. I don't want to say it's a lock, but it feels... It feels lucky that, <laughs> like that, that he's going to go top fifteen, um, barring a fall of Slater or Sewell somewhere. Right, right. We thought about Tevin Jenkins here, and I, you know, I, I just uh, have this feeling that Darisaw is going to have more uh, buzz around the NFL guys because he's got the, because he so much looks the part, and we all know that there's just like all these film guys, these diehard film guys that are going to be bank pounding the table for, for a player, even though with Derisaw, we talked about it with Sully, he was banged up. He didn't test. 
he looked like sometimes he wasn't given full effort. Although I still think it was because of his uh, injuries that he was trying to play through. And, and the fact, it, you know, if I'm correct, the fact that he played that well through those injuries, it does speak to his ability. And I, I, I would like this pick for uh, for the LA Chargers. I almost said San Diego. But, I mean, right now, if you look at rlads.com, which is a great resource for depth charts this time of year, they've got a guy named Trey Pipkins. Pennsylvania is their starting left tackle. I think they want to do better than that going into the season with Justin Herbert as their franchise quarterback. That takes us to the Minnesota Vikings. And again, another team where you feel like you can go five or six different ways. But it really always comes back to the front four on defense and the offensive line on offense. We debated uh, uh, having the first pass rusher off the board here. We debated would they, what offensive linemen do they need? You know, where do they need offensive line help the most? So we thought the best way to answer that is to probably give the most versatile offensive lineman in the draft in Elijah Vera Tucker uh, can play guard or tackle at a high level. This isn't one of those guys that you're is a tweener. Um, so I think he fits what they need because he can probably fill in where they need him the most, if that makes sense. Well, they've got a, they could use the help at left tackle. They drafted Ezra Cleveland last year from Boise state. He could move out to left tackle where he played at Boise state. You could put Elijah Vera Tucker in at either guard spot. Uh, I know that uh, the O line gurus will will say it's tough to switch sides, but certainly it's not. It's doable. We saw Jedrick Will switch from the right side to the left side and play at a high level at left tackle for Cleveland last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's difficult, but it's doable. And I I think Elijah Vera Tucker here makes a lot of sense. But we did talk a lot about defensive end here because we have not picked an edge rusher in this class and i think part of that you're going to listen to this and and uh you know i really think on on thursday there's going to be an edge rusher picked higher than we think and so this is where our unconscious bias maybe has crept into this mock draft where we just aren't super high on this edge class and here we are now at pick 14 and we haven't had an edge rusher come off the board and we move on to pick 15 and we still don't because we've got new England taking Zaven Collins, who's our first linebacker off the board. And I don't think, you know, knowing Bill Belichick's tendencies, I don't think that they would pick a Zaven Collins to play as an edge rusher. They want him to be one of those, uh, Swiss Army knife type of linebackers that they like to use. I mean, going back to Adelius Thomas or then Devontae Hightower, I think is a guy that you mentioned on our Patreon show last week, is a player that, that Zayvon Collins reminds you of. So I I really, if, if New England can't trade up and get a quarterback here, I don't think they settle with Mac Jones. I think they go Zayvon Collins. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if they pull the trigger on on Jones. But like you said, I I don't see it happening. Um, 
Well, I think if anything, I think they're gonna they would, they're gonna trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, aren't they? <laughs> I think if anything, they were they would probably trade up for um, for a falling Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I know that we've heard that Bill Belichick loves Justin Fields, so if he was to fall out of the top five, I wouldn't be surprised to see Belichick go get him. If Fields goes three, are they gonna are they gonna get Garoppolo back in New England? You would have to think that Garoppolo is going somewhere. I don't know if it's New England, but it's definitely going to be. He's he can't be there anymore, right? If you listen to Kyle Shanahan today uh, on on Monday on April twenty sixth, he is done with Jimmy. He's so done with him. That brings us to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, You're going to make a lot of friends is, with this one, right? Right. Well, this is kind of the worst case scenario for the Cardinals in that one of their big four of Waddle, Smith, Horn, and Sertain are not available. Um, Again, we talked about it. Tradebacks are kind of out of the question in this draft. I think they would try to trade back here. But there is a guy that I consider a blue chip guy. Um, I know you like him. And so despite the fact that they've invested so heavily in the position the last seven years under Steve Kime, they, they go to the well again, uh, Micah Parsons out of Penn state. I don't think you can, if, if the off the field shenanigans have checked out, which I would assume they have by this point, cause we're still seeing him mocked in the top 10. Um, you have to assume that if he fell to 15, 16, uh, a team like New England or Arizona are going to uh, pounce on him, you know, if, if uh, unless a superior talent, like I said, like a Waddle or a Smith or a Horn or Sertain are available. Um, Parsons allows them to continue to kind of be flexible with Isaiah Simmons and not have to just mash him into the inside linebacker position in their kind of hybrid 34 defense that they run and in that way you've got a true kind of inside backer to to build around on defense and let Simmons continue to roam. I want I want you and uh and Rob to chime in here. Is your fan base going to revolt? Is is that Arizona Cardinals fan base going to revolt about another linebacker? I I'm not sure if they'll revolt. No, it's probably not what they want, but I I've also gotten from a ton of people that they don't want like a guy like Greg Newsome or Caleb Farley at 16 because they don't want to draft anybody that's got injury issues. Interesting. So there is, so, are people okay with uh, you know, with Parsons being an opt out guy. I, I don't think anybody in Arizona cares about that part of it. Um, I haven't heard anything. I think everybody would be happy with like Sewell or Slater. So if you're going to be happy with those guys, I would say you have to be happy with, with Parsons and the same type type of thing. But, you know, it'll be interesting because that's back to back inside linebacker. So you better have just a dynamic right. linebacking core. Robert, would you be happy with that pick? I think I'd just be whelmed. Not overwhelmed or <laughs> underwhelmed, just whelmed. <laughs> I like that. 
Well, I, but, I don't want to be one of those like linebackers don't matter guys, but you can leave. It, that it's a to hard me. pill to swallow <laughs> seeing all the names that have already gone off the board, but like you can't complain at the same time because right. I don't want to reach on anybody else at this point either. Right. Well, and that's and that's why I said this is truly. I mean, when you look at it from this angle, that this would truly be the worst case scenario for the Cardinals. Exactly. And we had we had Collins going off the board first, but a lot of people would say Parsons is the better prospect off the ball. I had well, I, I had Collins as my number one linebacker on the Patreon show last week, but a lot of people would would disagree with me, right? They say Parsons is the top dog at linebacker. Well, and so this can be don't if you're not a patron, don't listen to this part. I've gotten word that there's a team that is in a desert landscape that told <laughs> Zavin Collins to gain weight because he's going to play on the edge for them. <laughs> okay. So M- Michael Parsons is your guy. So <laughs> at, <laughs> at 17, um, we finally went with an edge rusher because I, I, I think this guy feels like a Gruden grinder and a Mayock pick because they I'm sure they probably have him as the top edge rusher on the board and I talked about it when uh, on our Patreon show when we talked D end and D line why I think he's a little bit of uh, on the short or undersized doesn't have the length uh, that we that I prefer out of this position but uh, the edge rusher Quiddy Pay out of Michigan we have him going to the Las Vegas Raiders here at 17 and uh while I don't love Pay, I still think he's a, a very good player in this draft. Like I would like to have a guy like him on day two because he never really, it, he never really put it all together. He gets a lot of pressures. He's one of those guys that's going to score high on a PFF grade because of pressures, but he doesn't finish enough for my liking. But this still felt like a Gruden grinder, Mike Mayock senior pick. So um, that's where he ended up for us, and that's our first edge rusher off the board here. Yeah, and I like the fit. Um, You know, it'll be interesting to see what what the Raiders do because defensively they could go in a ton of different ways. I don't know how much they need on offense outside of offensive line, but... I mean, because when you've invested so much in the running back position, you probably want a good offensive line. So, and 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 the interesting thing is too, you know, they've got Yannick Ngakwe, they've got Max Crosby, they've got Cleveland Farrell. So picking Pay might seem like they're kind of giving up on on Farrell already, but he hasn't really done anything. I mean, they no. picked him fourth overall, and he hasn't done anything. And how long can you wait on a guy like that? We see it more and more in today's NFL that uh, teams just don't sit on, on those uh, high, even on the high first rounders for very many years before they start to move on or make other plans. That brings us to the Miami Dolphins, their second pick. We've seen a lot of teams or a lot of mock drafts go with them taking a running back here. I could see that. Um, it still feels a little early for running back here, doesn't it? 
Yeah. I think we we considered Najee Harris, who would be our running back one. But it doesn't feel right. They can definitely use a pass rusher here. And they've got a, a guy that's local, so they should be very familiar with him. And, and a guy who probably tested out better than any of, of the edge rushers in this class and player that we both thought was the defensive end one in this class, Jalen Phillips is right there for him. I asked a friend of mine who's a, a big uh, Miami fan and a guy who follows the draft very, very closely, my friend Ryan Boer, and uh, I said, would your Dolphins take a risk on, on Jalen Phillips despite the concussions, despite the issues at U- UCLA? And he said, absolutely, he thinks they would. So I'm putting uh, Jalen Phillips here at uh, pick number 18 for the Dolphins. So the Dolphins, with two first-round picks, they come away with Waddle and Jalen Phillips, and I think a lot of people would would give that an A. The Washington football team come up after that, and this is a tough one because they need help along the offensive line. Um, They need help at the wide receiver position. They they need Although they did offense. sign Curtis Samuel to go with uh, Terry McLaurin. They've got a good Buckeye receiving core happening there. Right. So like I said, they need help on at uh, receiver. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean honestly, they need you could take any position on offense and you would feel okay. Outside of Brandon Scherf, there's not a guy that you're like he's irreplaceable. I know so, was it Pete was it Peter Schrager that mocked um, a running back to them the other day, and it just sent people all in a tizzy because they have Antonio Gibson. But I mean, they like you said, they can go anywhere. I mean, Antonio Gibson was a third round pick. He played really well last year, but we we see how the shelf life of running backs goes. So with that, we stop the fall of Mac Jones, and we go Mac Jones to the Washington Football Team. Um, They have the timeless Ryan Fitzpatrick as their. He went to right Harvard. Now. I don't know if you guys knew that. <clears throat> he's uh, he's got to be your age, right? <laughs> he's he's a little younger than I am, sadly. But I mean, we're getting. And he's got a lot of... longer of a beard too. So, <laughs> but I mean, you can't tell me that if Jones is available, that they're going to pass on him and and go into the year with with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Kyle Allen, are they? Don't forget uh, Taylor Henneke who oh, played right. the playoff game. I mean, people were enthralled by that. But I think you're right. I, I, I think you know, Ron Rivera wants to keep this job, I imagine. And uh, you don't want to bank he- too heavily on you know, Fitzpatrick has to be viewed as a one-year stopgap. He's he's probably going to get competition from Henneke this year, and Kyle Allen has has started games and he just he's not an NFL starter. He's he's really they're better off with the top two guys, uh, Fitzpatrick and, and Henneke, and Kyle Allen's kind of like a QB three at this point, so he's not guaranteed a roster spot. If a guy like Mac Jones is there, you know we're not super high on him, but I don't think a fall for Mac Jones is unrealistic because. 
as we've mentioned many times, we we don't we just don't think that we we're not buying that Mac Jones is going third overall. So if he doesn't go third, and and uh, Fields or Lance goes third, then either Fields or Lance is falling to seven or nine, and then teams are going to be moving up for those guys. I don't think teams are going to be moving up for Mac Jones ahead of those guys. So I, and once you get out of the top ten, you can envision a fall for for mac jones and and uh i think this is where he lands if unless somebody trades up for him and we're hearing that people that teams really have like a second a day two grade on him that that a lot of the hype around him is media driven we'll see that takes us to the Chicago Bears. This was an easy one. I think both of us agreed on this pick. Tevin Jenkins, uh, Oklahoma State. He is phenomenal. Will immediately replace Bobby Massey at right tackle and give them... I mean, he's going to endear himself to that town and that team like immediately. Yeah, I, obviously I live in the Chicagoland area. And I've been here for almost eight years, so I've I've gotten to watch a lot of Bears football. I've got to interact with a ton of, of Chicago Bears fans, and when you talk to them, they're just so they love uh, you know Smash Mouth football, and they are so dissatisfied with their offensive line. Obviously, they would love a quarterback, but they knew most of the fans I talked to knew that at twenty. They had a slim chance of moving up to get a big-time quarterback. So we know that the Bears still have Andy Dalton. They still have Nick Foles. What can they do to help those guys win games? Because the Bears were basically, I think they were 8-8 eight and eight last year, 7-9. and nine. So they're right on the, the border. of They're just a, a completely mediocre football team. You've got a coach and a GM trying to save their jobs. They bring in Andy Dalton. How can we make Dalton successful? How can we put this team on the cusp of the playoffs? And you've got uh, David Montgomery, who had a good season at running back last year. They have Allen Robinson. They're high on Darnell Mooney. They could use a receiver for sure. But is receiver big enough need? I think they would much rather go with uh, with Tevin Jenkins at right tackle than the guys they've got penciled in there. And again, if you go to our lads who's got probably the best feel for depth charts this time of year. They've got a guy named Elijah Wilkinson penciled in as a right tackle, and that's just not going to fly. Charles Leno on the left side. They've got James Daniels, Cody Whitehair. But even Jermaine Effetti at right guard is is probably not ideal. So yet Jenkins, he's going to fill one of those spots on the right side of the offensive line and, and give him a shot. That brings us to the Indianapolis Colts. Again, another kind of team that's probably going to move down if they can. Um, But we're not doing that here. So they stay. They can go a lot of different ways. This is a tough one. I thought about taking one of the next tackles. We discussed it. We ended up going with Jason Owa, the fantastic prospect out of Penn State, um, elite athleticism, a guy that can really 
crash the pocket, but he'll have some time to learn from Justin Houston there, which could be a helpful thing. Well, with the Colts, they've got guys penciled in at defensive end that might might be more comfortable playing inside, like uh, Tyquan Lewis and and I, Isaac Rochelle, and they've had the, these other speed rushers that they've drafted in the past, Kamoko Toure and uh, Ben Benagu from from TCU, and those guys haven't been healthy enough to help them out. So Owe might give them that dynamic player that they've been looking for. They they've tried to go to that well a couple times and it just hasn't worked out for them, but they've got to generate some kind of pass rush. And, um, you know, I, I'm not even a hundred percent sure that, that Houston's still with them, but they've got to generate some kind of pass rush. And again, the Colts, they, they can be pretty flexible here, but, uh, pass rusher makes a lot of sense considering we've only had a, a couple guys off the board so far. That brings us to the Tennessee Titans, and again, a team that can go in a hundred different directions. Um, probably anything but running back. Probably, yeah, uh, really anything but running back. Um, again, we debated on this and ended up going with Christian Barmore, um, the defensive tackle out of Alabama the lone defensive tackle drafted in the first round in our in our mock draft spoiler alert uh it's it's amazing to me that it would go to the 22nd pick before you see a um a defensive interior defensive lineman drafted in this class this is one of those things that I think is going to play out differently in real life because it's almost unfathomable to have it happen to where the first interior defensive lineman goes off the board at 22. It's unheard of. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a debate of whether or not a defensive tackle could go number one overall, or, or at least as being the top defensive player taken off the board. So uh, Bear, uh, Christian Bearmore going here they've got Jeffrey Simmons on on the their defensive line but the rest of their defensive line you know you've got Harold Landry is going to be their pass rusher he's he's listed as a linebacker the way their defense is set up you got Danico Autry signed as a as a free agent from the Colts and Dalen Mack just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for that front that defensive front so I think Christian Barrymore makes sense here Uh, so we went on to the Jets and this pick that you really, uh, Seth, you drove this pick, and I liked it because what it did was it set in motion things that happen after this pick. Because here we have the, what, third corner that we have going off the board, and it's Greg Newsom from, from Northwestern. Newsom was a, a player who did play this year, and he goes ahead of the injured cornerback, Caleb Farley, that a lot of people would have said is the better prospect from Virginia Tech. Yeah, and Newsom, I think, fits the style that Robert Sala will want to play in in New York with the Jets. He'll be a little more physical than, than Farley, maybe almost to his detriment at times. He has been nicked up a little bit in college with some just, you know, sprains and strains and things. But... I think Newsom 
gives them, you know, a great cornerstone of their defense under under Sela. And so, I mean, when you're talking about quarterback and cornerback outside of pass rusher and left tackle, there's really no more cornerstone pieces to build with than those. Um, they signed uh, a wide receiver this offseason. Who did they sign again? Uh, the Jets signed uh, Corey Davis from, from Tennessee. Corey, Corey Davis, that's right. So Yeah, you know, so they, they've got Jameson Crowder, Corey Davis, Denzel Mims. Keelan Cole is another one they signed from uh, Jacksonville. And, and, and they could have, you know, you look at it, maybe they could have gone with a wide receiver here. We we talked about pass rusher here. Goes a, goes a couple of different ways, but I think Newsome... Um, was the guy that kind of clicked of who fits what Salem wants to do the best. And, and I'll even say, we talked about uh, the, the linebacker out of, out of Notre Dame, Jeremiah Wusu Karoma. I don't know if he fits Sela's defense. Like when you look at the, the linebackers they have in Fred Warner and, and those guys, they're a little bigger and more physical than what, JOK is um, not saying he wouldn't work. I just don't know if he's the kind of initial guy that he'd want in that defense. I know they have um, the kid from from Alabama that they signed from the Ravens a couple years ago. Um, but you know, when you look at it, I don't know if they want if, if that would be the guy that fits in what Sala does defensively. So we ended up going with Newsom. I think this would be kind of a dream scenario for them. They get, they get Zach Wilson um, or some quarterback at number two, uh, probably Zach Wilson, and then they get a cornerback, one of the top three cornerbacks or top four cornerbacks, depending on how you want to stack your board. And you look at the cornerbacks they have penciled in to start, Blasson Austin out of Rutgers, who'd be going into his third year, and Bryce Hall, who was a fifth-round pick, out of Virginia and a guy who had been injured uh, prior to his draft year. So there's just not any depth at corner there. Uh, this, this pick, they, if they can get one of those corners, they've got to do that. Um, when you look at the weaknesses of their roster, and this is a team that's probably going to take a few years to get back to respectability and getting a, a lockdown corner like Newsom is really going to help them on that path. And going on to 24, this is a pick that almost, I feel like this is so obvious and everybody just feels like this is the perfect fit. And uh, I've talked to my, my buddies uh, back in, uh, I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I talked to my friends. There's a lot of Steelers fans in Columbus and they would all love this pick, even though the draft Knicks and, and the analytics guys would hate it. It's a running back, Najee Harris, to the Steelers. It just feels like the right fit, right? Yeah, we've talked about, I think he profiles similar to Le'Veon Bell. I know they have problems up front along the offensive line, but we're at a spot where there's really only one offensive lineman, maybe two that we could see going. Um, you know, if a guy right. like Jenk, Jenkins or uh, Darisaw fall, I I think they could be the pick over 
Um, but I sure. don't I don't see a Creed. I mean, are you really gonna take Creed Humphrey? Um, unless unless uh, Landon Dickerson's medicals check out, I just don't know how you can take an offensive. You know, the what sixth offensive lineman in this draft over over Harris. And, and and you know they're running it back with Big Ben one more time. Like they're they're drafting so late that they just don't have the mobility to get up and and really pick a quarterback of the future this year. So they're running it back one more time. They're they're basically saying, hey, we've got one more shot at this, one more bite at the apple. Let's get Big Ben a player that it has capability that's going to help him out. It, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's the best strategy or anything like that. But like you said, it gives them that Le'Veon Bell type. And Harris is probably even a little bit better of an athlete coming out. But one of the things we loved about Le'Veon Bell and that we love about Najee Harris is his ability to run routes as a receiver and the body control that he offers as, as a pass catcher. He's a great fit. They can't run it back with Big Ben, who is uh, – was drafted in 2004. I mean, that was 17 years ago. Yeah. And, and Who expect- has players drafted from 2004 still on the roster. Well, not too, not too many. I mean, we, Phil Rivers retired, Eli Manning retired. Big Ben's one of the last guys standing from that draft. And if they're going to, to give it one more shot, they've got to get him somebody that's going to help right now. And Najee makes sense. Yeah. And so you have, you have the Steelers taking Najee, now that takes us to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We've heard from a couple people that they like the Barmore kid out of Alabama. He's off the board. They could look at pass rusher here. Um, but the name that keeps getting brought up, Trevon Morig, the TCU safety. So you kind of get your quarterback of the offense and, and Trevor Lawrence and quarterback of the defense and Morig, it just, I don't know. It, it, it makes sense. We're not as high on Morig as others, but I, I could see the value in what they're trying to do there. Well, again, you look at the personnel that that's on the team right now and you don't want to, you don't want to reach because you have a need, but the safeties that are penciled in for Jacksonville, Rudy Ford and Andrew Wingard. And uh, you, they did bring in Rayshon Jenkins as a free agent from the Chargers. But are you you want to bank on any of those guys? You're going to have the number one overall pick. You got Trevor Lawrence. So safety is definitely a hole on, on their defense. And, and uh, I think that Morig is a rangy guy. We heard our buddy... Uh, Kyle Posey, he kind of ripped into him and said he doesn't really think he's any good. And I, I think first round is rich for him, but I do like him more than Kyle does. And I like the ranginess. And uh, I'm not sure. It, it, you know, he ran a low 4-5. Does that translate? I think he, I still think that's good enough for, for a safety that, that can play the back end of, of your defense. Um, I I think that... They've got to address this part, if not in the first round, then sometime very soon after. And Jacksonville having two uh, first-round picks and having the gift of, of the number one overall pick, thanks to the Jets uh, giving up that late touchdown to Henry Ruggs in, in the regular season last year, 
they've got Trevor Lawrence, and so they can almost do no wrong with this pick. This is a pick where they certainly can use to address a need. Yep, and so now you've got Lawrence and Morig going to the Jags. That takes us to 26 and your <laughs> Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and, and I, I made this pick. I'm not going to lie. And um, for those of you that want to hear more thoughts on, on this player that I'm going to pick, we talked in depth about him on the Patreon show, uh, I believe, episode, Patreon episode six, where we talked about defensive ends and defensive linemen in this class. So Cleveland is in a unique spot for Browns fans, right? They, they don't have uh, an immediate need to address with this pick, and they're picking way later than we're ever used to seeing the Browns pick their first pick of the first round. We've seen the Browns have a late first-round pick, but it's only after they've had one or two other high first-round picks before that. So when we get to 26, I think Cleveland would love to have a cornerback. They would love to have uh, – they would love J.C. Horn or uh, Greg Newsom, but both of those guys are off the board. So could they pick a receiver here? I think uh, Ter- Terrace Marshall might be a possibility or Elijah Moore because those two receivers, to me, offer something different than the receivers that are already on Cleveland's roster. But I think Cleveland's going to ultimately trade back from this pick or try their damnedest to do that. But since we're not doing trades, plan B, I think, is to add to that defensive and defensive line room and I have been picking Gregory Rousseau from Miami and a lot of people a lot of Browns fans I talk to hate this they think that Rousseau has no pass rush moves they can only win as an interior rusher uh and my my counter argument to that is Rousseau I saw him play as a 19 year old he has phenomenal length he's 6'7 he's 266 he ran a 468. I mean that 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 is a very good athlete despite what you think about his other testing. He's not going to I guess have a great RAS or or spark because of his jumps. But one of the things that people were harping on was was his agility drills and he posted a video last week of him doing a 3 cone and if you pull out the stopwatch and and, and time that 3 cone it's probably about 7 between seven seconds and 7.1. I think that Rousseau has enough athleticism to succeed on the edge. I think this would be a great situation for him because he's got Miles Garrett on the other side of the line, and he's got Jadavian Clowney there on a one-year deal. This creates a situation that I think is similar to back in the day when the New York Giants kept drafting pass rushers. They had Michael Strahan, OCU Minora, Justin Tuck, and they added uh, Matthias Kiwanuka. They kept adding pass rushers. That got them a Super Bowl ring at one point. I know that was a long time ago, but it's the similar idea. And if you think Rousseau can only win inside, well, the Browns are already talking about kicking Jadavian Clowney inside on some rushes. We've already seen them do it with Miles Garrett. Why can't they do it with Gregory Rousseau? A lot of attention is going to be play, paid to the other two guys, and I think you you're going to have it, it's probably maybe not the best player here, but I like Rousseau, and I think this would be the best situation for a guy like Gregory Rousseau, and I think he's determined because I think he reads a lot of what people are saying about him. There, people are kind of ripping him, and this is a player who opted out to train for the draft, and I think he's determined. 
Yeah, and I just like the fact that you do things out of spite. That makes it more fun. <laughs> I could have taken Caleb Farley here, but, you know, is is uh, is that a money ball move? Is that a Di Podesta, Andrew Berry move to take a guy that's injured right now that has a back injury? Or is it the move to take and add to that defensive line and really create that pressure up front in that in, in that AFC North where you've got an aging Big Ben, you've got you got Joe Burrow playing behind a paper thin line, and in our scenario, not even drafting alignment to to address that. And then you've got a hem in Lamar Jackson. Draft to beat your division foes. And then that takes us to the division foe, Baltimore Ravens. Again, this is this seems like the certain uh Harris thing where they've just been mocked unrelentingly to this team um terrace marshall jr uh to the baltimore ravens um i know there's people that don't like this fit because they don't think that lamar jackson can throw uh you know whatever i'm i i'm not gonna nitpick a guy that's already won an mvp and let his team in the playoffs every year he's been the starter so <laughs> i know right it's 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 amazing Sorry, not all of us can have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady as our quarterback. That takes us to the New Orleans Saints, and the slide stops here. Yeah, uh, we went with Caleb Farley here, and I think this is a good situation for him because uh, they've got Marshawn Lattimore there. There are other outside corners, Patrick Robinson. He's been okay, right? But... They could definitely stand to upgrade uh, from from there. And the corners that they have behind Lattimore and Robinson, I mean, Robinson himself is not a, a overly big guy. The corners they have behind those guys would probably be better suited for slot duty. So, um, and I'm sp- well, and- specifically thinking about Grant Haley, who, who out of Penn State, who's very small. He played outside at Penn State, but he's a very small guy. And I think... The thing that a lot of people struggle with is that if you take a kid, whether it's Farley or another cornerback here, you're preparing for the departure of Lattimore. And now you've got an in-house replacement the next year. So at worst, he is a guy that's in-house for 22 when Lattimore moves on. At best, he plays across from Lattimore and in 2021 is a good player and helps you, you know, compete again. There's nothing wrong, and especially at the corner position, um, to be prepared. And I say that as a fan of a team that has no preparation whatsoever at the cornerback position. Um, and they went into this offseason with... Byron Murphy is literally the only cornerback on the roster. Yeah, I, I mean, it it does. <clears throat> it is a great opportunity for teams drafting the, the back end of uh, of the first round to add depth to positions that already have some strength. And I mean, it goes back to what I just talked about with with Cleveland a couple picks ago. For Green Bay, uh, we like this guy. We heard from Todd McShay today that he is the number four receiver on many teams boards in fact he said every team that he had talked to i don't know how many that is but we went with elijah moore for green bay 
early on, I think people were talking about Ron Dalemore in this spot. And ultimately, we just couldn't go with a guy that's 5'7", even, right? We had uh, Elijah Moore, uh, a couple inches taller. He has that downfield receiving ability, the way he attacks the ball in the air, something we talked about on our on our receiver ranking show on Patreon. And 4-3-5 speed. I think he is going to go in the first round. I would have loved to have him be there for that uh, that Cleveland Browns pick in the second round. But if they want Elijah Moore and a guy like Greg said, they'll have to trade up to get him. I think Elijah Moore in, in Green Bay is a perfect pick at this point. That brings us to Buffalo. And another rumor that's come out is that they're not only interested in this player, they're looking to move up if they need to. Um, and that's the Bills taking Travis Etienne. Um, and that would be an interesting fit. They've they've tried to do a lot with the running back position um, the last three years without any success, really. Yeah, they've got Devin Singletary. He's had flashes here and there but he never looks like he's a, a guy who can be the man uh, and they drafted zach moss last year and moss was i think pff's number one running back last year uh, i i couldn't really believe that but they loved his tackle breaking score and things like that those metrics that they have over there similar to the way they loved uh, david montgomery but moss was banged up and then when he did get to play it it just really hasn't come together for him so I think Buffalo thinks they're close and they don't want to have Josh Allen be their best running back. So ETN with his speed, with his running ability, with his receiving ability, that's a player that adds an, another layer to their offense with Josh Allen. They feel like they are on the verge and they probably are if they can get the right guys around Josh Allen and if he can avoid kind of those loose cannon type of plays that he occasionally makes late in the game that kind of bring things back to down to earth. That brings us back to Baltimore. They just and traded or Orlando Brown jr. Yeah. And here's where the Browns pick. fans are going to really hate me for my <laughs> pick at 26. And they pair last year's first round pick Patrick queen with, uh, Jeremiah Owosu Karama, uh, JOK goes 31. We talked a lot about potentially going with an edge rusher here, um, Joseph Osai or um, Ojolari out of Georgia. In the end, it comes down to the fact that it's Baltimore and they just tend to take guys that they have ranked highly. They're not. They're not necessarily looking for specific positions. A name to watch here that would be an interesting fit and somebody I think that could be in play is Joe Tryon, uh, the edge rusher out of Washington, or the interior defensive lineman Levi Onwuzuriki. Both have been mentioned as being potential first round guys. They opted out last year. There are two of the guys I think the opt-outs hurt more than anybody else. Because but... nobody watches Pac-12. Because well, the Pac-12 yeah. net network is like not a part of a lot of cable packages out in the, in the Central and East Coast time zone. And because people 
on the East Coast don't stay up until 10 p.m. to watch the start of a Pac-12 game. And so that would be an interesting fit, one of those Washington defenders in Baltimore, but ultimately we went JOK. Yeah, and I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if JOK falls out of the first round because of the um, because of the lack of a true position. But by the same token, we could totally see him going like 17 overall to, to the Raiders because you could just see a guy like Mayock loving the, uh, the versatility of a player like that and, and just having big ideas about, about how you can use him. So it's not that I hate uh, JOK. It's that I don't like him for Cleveland. And I think that Browns fans have become enamored with him I should say many Browns fans have become enamored with him because they didn't like the linebacker play in Cleveland. And I think the Browns are moving away from using a lot of linebackers. I think they're very high on the pick, a mid-round pick that they made last year, Jacob Phillips, who came on toward the end of the year. They've added guys through free agency for depth, and they want to play safeties more than linebackers. They want to run that 4-2-5 defense. So that's why I don't think uh, JOK is a fit for them. And, of course, in our scenario, he falls to a division rival, so that leaves me rife for criticism. So that leaves us with the very last pick of the draft. And, and this was Tampa Bay brought back all 22 starters from a Super Bowl championship team. So what do you do here? I mean, we could have gone in so many different directions. Uh, Joe Tryon was a player that we thought about here as well, at, adding to their defensive line. But we went with Alex Leatherwood at, on the offensive line because Leatherwood is a player that we talked about on the O-line show, episode 107, where he can play. We think, you know, Seth and I think that Leatherwood could play offensive tackle or he could play, as Sully said, he thinks he would be great moving inside to guard. And with the injuries that, that uh, Tampa had on their road to the Super Bowl last year, they could have used a guy like that in Leatherwood. They're kind of like with Pittsburgh, except better. They're running it back with their old quarterback, a guy who actually is older than I am. Thank you. In Tom Come Brady. Back. And <laughs> so Leatherwood really gives them a good uh, swing offensive lineman where he can fill in any gap, either at, at offensive tackle or offensive guard, to help them in their push to the next Super Bowl which they'll likely win. So that brings us to the end of our mock draft. We had and a few guys fall out um, that are getting mocked in a lot of uh, of the media drafts. Yeah, no Rashad Bateman, no Joseph Osai, uh, Rondell Moore, um, Akeem Audrey It's a, you know... It's a tough one. Like we said, Joe Tryon, uh, Levi Anzariki are guys that are being mentioned. We, we only uh, had one interior uh, defensive lineman. We only had one tight end. I know you know Pat Fryermuth is probably the next tight end up, and, and I don't see him being mocked in a lot of first rounds, but that's kind of unusual. Um, so you've got, you know, Jameen Davis we didn't mock in the first round. And uh, I think somebody time. had him at 17 overall to the Raiders this morning. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how these this falls into on, on Thursday because I think 
really between the the potential trades and the unknown the all the unknowns this year I think it's going to be a, a different draft than what a lot of mocks are expecting and I wouldn't be surprised to see six or seven names that we didn't have in the first round go in the first round um, and that's not a shot at us just I mean it's a it's really hard to get a gauge on what teams are doing this year and keep in mind that we're hearing a lot of reports about teams that are debating on players who opted out this year. Should we draft them? Should we not? One of the teams that I, I can name by name that I've I've read about having that debate is Miami. And in our mock, we didn't have them taking any players that opted out. We had them taking Jalen Waddell and, uh, and Jalen Phillips. So two Jalens, but neither opted out this year so could Cincinnati be one of those teams could Cincinnati be saying we we don't want to take an opt-out guy and that would rule out uh that would rule out Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell the two guys that have been most often mocked to them that would be crazy if that happened and then you you would have Chase and Sewell both falling back to the next pick and you'd have a very big surprise at pick five so Something to look out for, for sure, on Thursday night. We're excited about it. We're going to do, we're only uh, doing this one show this week because we certainly can't tape ahead and release an episode on Thursday like we normally do on Patreon because the actual draft is happening on Thursday. So for our Patreon subscribers, you can subscribe and listen for $2 a month. We're going to do uh, immediately after the draft concludes, the first round of the draft concludes on Thursday, we're going to jump on and record an episode and throw together our immediate first round reactions. That'll be posted uh, the next morning on Patreon for our subscribers, for everybody in the $2 tier and the $4 tier to listen to on Friday morning. And then we'll have some more things in store over the weekend as we go through day two and day three. And you can find us on Patreon at the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. And the link to the Patreon site is on in my bio on Twitter at AFC2NFC and in the Twitter for the show, which is at DB underscore pod. The DB stands for a draft breakdown in this case. And that brings us, Seth, to the hot takes that's right it's time for hot takes and we finish up the show with a couple of doozies uh some good ones this week um we can start with a look at an interesting player comps for the 2021 nfl draft from um, at rj underscore young on the twitter he did some running back comparison. Our good friend Sully Chiefs loves to talk about when you compare every prospect to uh, an, a Pro Bowl, All-Pro, or Hall of Fame-level player. So, of course, that's what R.J. Young of Fox Sports did um, for his comparisons. The Do you want to go top to bottom or bottom to top on these? Uh, we'll go top to bottom. I mean, these are all weird, though. Um, Najee Harris, 
he compared Najee Harris to Saquon Barkley. Um, maybe in in terms of weight, that might work. Um, maybe. This was the weirdest one to me. Was he compared Travis Etienne to Sean Alexander? Did you see that one coming? I no. Um, I'm a huge Etienne fan, so I don't want people to take this the wrong way. But when I think about Sean Alexander, um, I don't think about a guy like Travis Etienne. Alexander came out at 5'11", 225. Etienne is 5'11", 210. Um, Even if we give Etienne 215 with the water weight that he had for his, his pro day, it's it's weird. Yeah, it was, uh, he's not... Yeah, it's definitely different um, than what you would expect from... From I, a I guess because yeah, I guess because Alexander was a, a good receiving back, maybe that's that's the logic there. I mean, this one doesn't make any sense to me unless you just look at raw forty time, maybe from from uh, the. No, I, I mean I think Dalvin Cook even had a good forty time at the at the combine. He was a sub four five guy at the combine, but uh, Javante Williams to Dalvin Cook, Javante Williams ran like a tenth of a second slower. Than Dalvin Cook and and Cook took the heat from his combine because of his shuttles, which you know it, when you're a slasher like that, when you can make a cut and and get get upfield in a hurry like Cook can, um, I don't see that comparison at all. We've heard Javante Williams compared to uh, Nick Chubb, which again I think is ridiculous. And and uh, you know I thought he was similar to Marion Barber because he runs into a lot of guys at the second level and tries to bowl them over. But even Marion Barber was faster and had more explosiveness in the in lower body and was bigger than Javante Williams. So Williams coming at 212, running at 457, 458. I don't see any of these comparisons, and Dalvin Cook was one that didn't even cross my mind. The, the next one I don't mind. It's not the worst one of the bunch and that's Trey Sermon with James Conner both bigger backs but not what I would call power backs um you know so they run a little softer than their size but you know for me Trey Trey Sermon really reminds me of like Latavius Murray coming out um I can see that out of UCF he runs similar to how Murray is He's not as upright as Murray, uh, but, you know, same same type of style of running. Um, and then, you know, Murray's been a really solid receiver. And if you get that on, you know, late day two, early day three, that's a that's a home run. I always thought Sermon kind of looked visually like Kenyon Drake when he's running the ball because he keeps that ball away, you know, kind of away from his body. He's a lot of arms and legs, um, but he's just not as fast as Drake. So, but James Conner, I think you, you, if you make this comp, you're talking more about the James Conner who slimmed down when he got to the pros than the James Conner who was like the big bruiser running back when he was at Pitt. And the last one on here was Chuba, Chuba Hubbard and Amon Green. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't even know about that. I guess because of the breakaway speed, but Green tested faster and and i think you're being really generous to chuba hubbard here because 
he just didn't have a good senior year and uh, it didn't test like the track athlete that we were sold when it came down to the 40 times so this one was th this whole thing i mean rj young caught a lot of flack on twitter about, over these rankings over these comps and um and from what i could tell he blocked a lot of people on twitter too that day well and you know it's like what we just talked about with with uh solely the other day you know if you're gonna give a high end of a sean alexander for um for travis Etienne, by the way a three-time pro bowler all pro an mvp an offensive player of the year like those are absurd credentials um what's what's his low end then like <laughs> like you've got to come in you can't just be like yeah he plays like uh sean alexander because then one stylistically no he doesn't but two so we're expecting you know an all pro MVP type of performance from him. Um, like I said, it's always interesting. It's, it's easy to do when your comparisons are just pro bowl players. You're like, yeah, I mean, all these guys compared to pro bowlers. So that makes it a lot easier than actually coming up with, you know, thoughtful size skill set uh, type of players. And quite frankly, I have no, and he doesn't know who I am either. So it's not, trying to talk out of line i have no idea who rj young is so i'm not you know i'd say this to him on twitter too but that would mean i have to engage on twitter and that's <laughs> that's exhausting anyway, he, so. he might block you anyway and and you know well we don't want that to happen because we want more hot takes coming if you want a low-end comp for chuba hubbard i plugged in just uh height weight speed testing and it came up with jeremy langford so if you want a low-end for chuba Maybe Jeremy Langford fits the bill. Um, so Jim Nagy runs the Senior Bowl. He tweeted this out. This will be our last hot take and wrap up our show for the week. But uh, Jim Nagy tweeted out yesterday. Um, if you're listening on on Tuesday, this would be on Sunday, the 25th. They tweeted this out. They don't appear in many mocks. But, here, but here's five guys carrying first-round grades within the league. He didn't capitalize the league. He should have, though. Who who could get their name called on Thursday night? You'll notice that only one of these players actually appeared in our mock. Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey did not. Uh, Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barrymore, he was in our mock. Washington defensive tackle Levi on Wuzurike, he was someone that Seth mentioned, but he fell out of our first round. And then... Ohio State linebacker Pete Werner and UCF safety uh, Richie Grant, and uh, that's that's mind-boggling to me. I watched Pete Werner play every Ohio State game over the past four years. I can't think of any single Ohio State uh, fan or follower beat guy or anything like that who's ever touted Pete Werner as a first-round pick or even really as a day-two pick. And I think Pete Werner is a great athlete. He's a very high-end athlete, and I think he's a good player. He adds value on our Patreon show when we talked about linebackers. I think he can be a core special teamer and a rotational player, but I can't even fathom taking Pete Werner in the first round. And uh, Richie Grant, 
is uh, under six feet tall, under 200 pounds, and is going to be a 24-year-old rookie out of Central Florida. And I think he had, in my estimation, Seth, he had about a a 50-50-ish kind of senior bowl. I know a lot of people liked what they saw to Richie Grant in senior bowl practices. I thought he had, had some good plays, had some bad plays. I think he's an okay player, but I, I, even uh, NFL Draft Scout the other day when I checked had him well into the day three range as far as, as safety. So those last two guys really stood out to me as players that I just cannot even fathom going on the first round on Thursday. If you were taking those guys in the first round, and I'll do respect to those guys, but that would be a bad pick. Yeah, it's an interesting names. Like I said, Creed Humphrey's a guy we've talked about. Soli is Soli likes him, but he again not in, not in not in the one. first round, right? I don't even think he has him as a top three center in this class. Um, I think he's got uh, what was it, Green, and then uh-huh. Josh Myers and, maybe from Ohio State. I mean, that's another and, player. And then I know he loves Dickerson, but he's worried obviously about the knees. Um, and he's kind of too tall to play center too, right? And they usually move a, a tall guy like that to guard. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, Humphrey is an interesting one. When you and then the other four are just they're 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 different. You know, nobody talks about it, but Humphrey was Humphrey's a left-handed center, and that's pretty unusual. I mean, it's not like having a left-handed catcher in baseball, but. It's kind of unusual for a, a guy to be snapping left-handed, and and uh, they did talk about that some at the Senior Bowl, and, and since then it's just kind of been glossed over. So I wonder if that's a factor, and Creed Humphrey might may uh, fall because of that. But you know, Nagy's doing his thing. You know, the, a lot of those guys were Senior Bowl guys. Werner, Grant, uh, I think all those guys were Senior Bowl guys except for uh, Bearmore, who was. Uh, and I'm, I, I've heard it both ways: Barmore, Bearmore. So apologize. In advance, I'm uh, mixing it up, just uh, so that we're, yeah, just so that we're right. At we some, we some cover point. we cover both angles. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, he's the only guy that that wasn't at the Senior Bowl. The other guys were, and of course Nagy has a, a vested interest in those guys doing well because it helps his game, and I don't hate him for that. I mean, I totally understand that. And that'll wrap up this episode of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. As Justin said, if you want to hear our thoughts or read our rankings, uh, subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, they're in both of our links on Twitter um, and then at, at the uh, Draft Breakdown Twitter page as well, DB underscore pod. Um, where the DB, depending on the day, can stand for Draft Breakdown <laughs> or other things. So... Uh, <laughs> But we'll be back on Thursday night. I'm uh, going to do a little pod, a recap, kind of a raw and quick rundown of the draft. And then we'll wrap up the draft stuff uh, on Saturday or Sunday with another pod. So we appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you to our patrons. Um, and we'll be back later this week. What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um